following sermon is brought to you by Genuine, the college ministry of Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. More information about our ministry is available at www.cogginchurch.org forward slash university. Okay, man, if you got your Bibles, uh, grab them, open them up to the book of James. Uh, that's where we have been the last several weeks, and uh, that's where we're going to be tonight, and then our final, our final two weeks before fall, um, uh, Christmas break. You guys only have like seven days of class left, and then and it's fine Thanksgiving final. So, man, I know some of you guys are, are just crawling across the finish line here. So, um, hang in there. All right, you. This too shall pass. All right, you'll you'll make it. Okay. Um, uh, hang in there, break's coming, and Thanksgiving, and turkey, or, or if you're one of those weird families, ham. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, it's coming. So, um, listen, man, I really want to lock in tonight. Um, as, I, as I studied this week, there's really like, um, we're going to be starting in uh, chapter 3, verse 13, and we're going to go through chapter 4, verse 12. So we're taking a pretty large chunk of, of Scripture tonight. There's really about seven sermons here. And we're going to kind of just crinkle this all up into, into one kind of sermon. And I promise we're not going to be here like three hours. Um, we, we, we'll try to hammer through this. But what James is getting to tonight, and what, he's, what essentially he's going to be talking about tonight is simply this. These verses speak about false and true wisdom. Okay, They speak about godly wisdom, which according to the Bible is true wisdom, wisdom because it's rooted in an understanding of who God is and, and who we are and how we live in light of that understanding. But there is also false wisdom out there. And false wisdom, it's folly. It is foolishness. It is not rooted in a proper understanding of who God is and who we are and how we are to live life in light of that understanding. So, um, I mean, I, I think in here tonight, we all agree that there is wisdom and there is is foolishness, okay? We, we can all look at things and say, that's, that's dumb, all right? Or, or we've all been in situations before where we look and say, that's dumb. I found a couple of, of things. Um, this is like moving time is about upon us. I have literally seen um, guys do this, like dropping couches off second, third floor balconies, and guys down there like, oh, I'll catch it. All right, we all look at this and say things like that. That's dumb. Like, on the level of wisdom foolishness, that is not, that's not wisdom. Things like this. Um, I have done things like this before, all right? I mean, you got the ladder propped up on this, propped up on that. So listen, all James is saying is that there is a way to live life that is wise. And listen to me, there is a way to live a life that is incredibly foolish. Incredibly foolish. And the ramifications of how you choose to live, all right, it has consequences. There are consequences for how we choose to live. So all James is going to do tonight at first, he's going to define worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. He's going to define them at the end of chapter 3. And then he's going to give you an illustration of of, of how they work in your life. The result of of whichever one you choose to live by. And then he's going to end in chapter 4. And the closing verses with an exhortation to walk in wisdom. And what does that look like then? To walk in godly 
and godly wisdom. So those are the three things we're going to do now. We're going to define godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. We're going to expose what it looks like if you choose to walk in godly wisdom. And then we're going to, we're going to end with talking. So how, I mean, uh, what it looks like if you walk in worldly wisdom. And then we're going to end tonight with like how to avoid that and how do we walk in, how do we walk in godly wisdom. So let me pray. And then we have, to, we have to dive off somewhere else before we get into what James is talking about. Um, so let's pray. And then we're going to get into this. Father, thanks for, um, thanks for tonight. I've been really excited about teaching tonight. I just really feel like in my own heart this week, you really stirred a lot of, um, Lord, just things in my own mind, convictions in my own heart of, of, of where I've been walking in foolishness. And Lord, where, honestly, you, you reminded me even this week of where I've walked in wisdom and, and the benefits that have been just on full display in my life because of your wisdom that you have given and the power that you have given to walk in it. And so, Lord, I want to pray for these college students here tonight. Um, Lord, they're in this season of life um, where many of them, they're called to make make some of the most important decisions of their life um, at a time where maybe they feel the least equipped to make them. I mean, who they're going to marry, what job do they want to do for the next 30, 40 years of their, um, their life, Lord? Some of them, even now, God, are walking in wisdom, and, and, and the benefits of walking in godly wisdom are, 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 are bearing fruit in their life. Lord, for some, of, for some of us in here, if we're honest, we are walking in worldly foolishness, though, in ways that we're thinking and things that we're doing and and Lord, tonight you want to expose those things in us. But Father, also tonight you want to very lovingly and very gently call us to godly wisdom. Um, which begins, begins with knowing and loving and fearing you. So God, my prayer tonight is that maybe even for someone in here who has never become a Jesus follower, and they have just never become an apprentice of Jesus, that they've never surrendered their life to you, they have never confessed Jesus as Lord and repented and turned away from their sin and began to walk with Christ. God, I'm praying that tonight, maybe for some in here, that that would be the first step that is taken is the beginning of godly wisdom being displayed in their life. So Lord, I'm asking for these things to be to be done and that we would be encouraged to walk in godly wisdom and to spurn worldly folly um, and, and in that display our love for you, God, and, and a life um, that has begun in us through our faith in Jesus that is transforming who we are from you. So, Father, we love you and we give you this time and I pray these things in Jesus' name. All right. So James, we've talked about this. James is wisdom literature. All right, The book of James is written by the half-brother of Jesus, who is now the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And the whole point of wisdom literature is to challenge the way that you think so that you will change things in your life that need to be changed by the power of the Spirit working in you and, and begin to live, live differently. And part of James's whole point in the book, starting in chapter 1, going all the way to the end of chapter 5, is this. Genuine faith in Jesus transforms you, okay? You cannot come into contact with, 
with, with the Jesus of the Gospels, the God of the universe, and walk away from a genuine encounter with him unchanged, any more that you can be struck by a bolt of lightning and walk away from that encounter unchanged. It's, it's not possible. So what James is arguing is that a genuine encounter with Jesus begins to transform and change everything about you, including, all right, we talked about temptations and trials and truth and your tongue, and tonight, how you function in the world of wisdom. Now, there's two things that the Bible is going to say about wisdom that are jumping off points that we need to get to, okay? If you're really going to understand what James is getting to, and the first one is simply this. God is for God, okay? God is radically God-centered. And all I mean by that is simply this. You and I are not the point of life. We, we are not the point. Life is not all about you, all right? We used to sing a song, it's all about me, gee. All right, that, that's not true, all right? Life is not all about you, and all this is for... You are not the point. You and I are not the point. We are not the sun. We are not the sun that God revolves around. God revolves around God. And this is important because from a young age, our hearts want to be the point, right? Like, like from the time that you're a baby, our hearts, because of brokenness and because of sin, want to be the point. You, you go in and you're at work all day or you're, you're at school all day and you're in tough classes and you finally get back to your dorm room and all that needs to happen is your roommate needs to be quiet and things need to be clean inside of your room, especially if you live with a messy person. Like they need to clean up all their stuff and, and things need to be quiet. But down the hallway, everyone needs to, because I have worked hard all day and I've been in school all day and I've done this and I've been at practice. So all that needs to happen is I need to walk into my room, get some peace and quiet, you know, uh, uh, eat my ramen noodles or whatever it is because I'm not going to go to the calf today. And, I'm, and, and people just need to get out of my way and no one talk. And we are conditioned that it's all about us. For me, this is on full display when I drive and get behind slow people, all right? And what I mean by slow is people who are driving the speed limit, all right? And I'm like, get out of the way, you know, like, this is the fast lane. And you need to get it. Why? Because the point on that road is, is me. So, so we're conditioned by a fallen sinful flesh, and listen, by a culture to believe that you and I are the point of life. That in order to be happy, we must be central in all things, and if we would be the center of all things, we would really be happy. But the Bible says, the Bible is, is, is just totally obliterates, obliterates that way of thinking, and says the first thing is this, God is for God. God is the center of the universe. Everything revolves around here. God is, uh, God loves you. God will bless you. God is, God is for you, yes. But listen to me very closely. You and I are not uppermost in God's affections. God is uppermost in his own affections, and that's good for us, because what that means is that if he really loves you and me, he will give us what is best for us. And what is best for us is himself, is himself. Who does God worship? God worships himself. If God worshiped anything else, he would be an idolater. 
And if God really loved you and there was something better than God out there that he could give you and he was holding it back and saying, no, 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 this thing's better than me, but I'm going to give you me, God would not love you. But if God loves you, he must give you what is best for you, what what is ultimately the most beautiful, the grandest thing in all of the universe, the one thing that is to be worshiped himself. And so he gives himself to you. So he gives himself. So I know this sounds weird, all right? We don't have time to unpack more of this. If you have some questions, come and catch me up. Let me show you Psalm 23 where we see this, okay? Psalm 23, this is a, I could literally go to a hundred different scriptures where we could, we could prove this point, but let's look at Psalm 23 real fast. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now listen, we like to focus on a lot of those things that he leads me, he gives me, he restores me, he does all these things for, for me. He is doing these things for me. God is for you. God loves me. But, but look at this last line. Why does God do all of these things? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. So listen. The part of the beginning of wisdom is understanding that God is for God. It, the point of life is not you and me, okay? But the second thing, that, that if you're going to walk in wisdom, godly wisdom, here's the second truth that you need to understand. God also designed the world to work a specific way, okay? God designed the world to, to work a specific way. When the world was laid, the foundation of the world was laid, um, Things were just designed to work, work a certain way. If you have your Bibles, I didn't put it up there because we're going to read um, several verses here. But I want you to flip over to Proverbs chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, Proverbs is in the Old Testament. So if you get to the book of Psalms, which is kind of right in the middle of your Bible, hang a right. There's Job, Psalms, and then Proverbs. And I, wanna, I want you to get your Bibles, flip over to Proverbs chapter 8. I want you to, let's start in verse, um, let's start in verse 23, start in verse 23, and we'll read till the end of Proverbs chapter 8. So in, in Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is being personified, so this is wisdom talking to us, okay, godly wisdom talking to us, and look at what wisdom says beginning in verse 22. It says this, now the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Verse 32. And now, O sons and daughters, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. 
Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Now listen to verse 36 though. But who fails to find me, who fails to find me, injures himself, and all who hate me love death. All right? So here's what wisdom is saying is, I was there when God created everything, created the heavens, created how life was was meant to work, and God designed life to work a specific way. And when you work within the rhythms of how God designed life to be, you are walking in wisdom. You are walking in paths that lead to life. But when you step out of how God designed things to work, you are inviting destruction and death into your life. Okay? So these are two pillars of wisdom literature. All right? And knowing those two things, flip back over to the book of James. Let's start in verse 13, and let me unpack really quickly right here the things that he is going to say. Let's start in verse 13, and let's read through chapter 4, verse 12. James writes and says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder of every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4. But what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. It's a pretty scathing rebuke of the people right there. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one, uh, one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil, or the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? 
All right, so here's the first thing he's going to do in chapter 3. He is going to begin to define godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. Um, and so here's what he's going to say about Here's what he's going to say about worldly wisdom. Here's the three marks of worldly wisdom that James is going to give if you start looking here in verse 13, or start looking in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth, all right? So here's, here's Mark's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Worldly wisdom is all about self, all right? It puts itself at the center. So already what you're going to see is worldly wisdom rejects the first two premises that we talked about, all right? That God is the center of all things, and he has designed it to act in a particular way. What worldly wisdom is going to do is step into the center of that ring and say, no, I am the center of the universe, and I can define how the universe and life is supposed to work. My truth is what matters, and I am in the center of all things. It's marked by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, all about me. And listen, and if the world is all about you, how could you not be jealous? All right? How could you not be selfish? If you have put yourself into the middle of the world, how could it be any other way when all of life revolves around you? People exist to serve you. Not only people, but God exists to serve you. God's whole point of God's entire existence is to meet all of your needs and make you happy. Contrary to what the Bible would say, all right? It's all about what I want, when I want, when I want it, and the manner in which I want it. All right, self becomes, self becomes central, and the result of that is chaos and destruction. Look down at verse, um, verse 16. In verse 16, he says, For where, jealous ambition and self, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Here's what James is saying. When you live life this way, you invite all kind of disorder and destruction into your life. What happens with you, when you get a bunch of people in a room with a me-first attitude and tell them to get along? Right? Chaos. What, what happened? Listen, if you're a football player, what happens? And listen, I don't, I don't know the guy. All right, I'm just going by things that I saw in the news. But what happens when you get a guy in the locker room? I'm just going to say it because I don't know the guy. But, but in the NFL, there was a guy. Maybe I shouldn't even say that because now I'm like talking about the guy. but not really talking about the guy. Maybe this is gossip and slander. Um, just erase all of that. Just don't think about football. Think about like croquet. All right? So if you, if you have like an awesome croquet team, like what, what happens when you get the guy in the locker room that makes everything about him? Or the girl in the lo- that makes everything about, about them, and they don't get the ball enough, or they need more of this. They- what happens inside, inside of that team? People like that are simply toxic, all right? And we probably have all been in the realm of people that live this way, and we see how toxic people like that are and how it infiltrates inside of relationships and destroys them. And he says, here's how you spot these kind of people, they're all about self. It results in chaos and destruction. And the reality is, look here in verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Listen, it lives only for the here and now. Lives only for the here and now. The motto of this person is, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, all right? There's no eternal perspective to anything, in any way in which they live. Listen to me, if you're... If you're if you're a Jesus follower in here, 
there are going to be things right now that maybe that you want that 10,000 years from now you're going to look back on and think how crazy it was that you wanted that thing. Like a Jesus follower has this eternal perspective that looks and says, this isn't all there is. Eternal life has begun for me. But, but someone who is rooted in worldliness sees only the here and now, what is right in front of them. And here's the crazy thing. Um, we think we know what's going to make us happy, right? But how many times have you swore that if you just got that one thing, you would be happy, and then you get it, and you're not? Like, am I wrong? Like, I remember when iPhone 1s came out, and it was like, oh, the iPhone 1, I have to get one. I had a friend text me, he was like, hey, I don't want to oversell it, but it's going to change your life. And I was like, really, it's going to change my life? Like, yeah, so the iPhone, and like, everybody was scrambling to get the iPhone 1. If you get the iPhone 1, man, you can have calls and texts and your calendar and your, your email and this or that. It's just going to revolution. You'll never look at phones the same. And then you know what happened? The iPhone 2 came out. And then it was like, oh my gosh, the iPhone 1, it sucks. I need the iPhone 2. Like, I've got to get the, and then, and now we're like on what, iPhone 15 or 12 or 13, whatever it is, the X, all right? We're on like the next thing. And how many times have we swore, how many times have you told yourself, man, if I could just get into that relationship, if I could just get that grade, if I could just get that car, if I could just get inside of that friend group, or if I could just get that boyfriend, or even Garth Brooks knows, all right? Some of God's greatest gifts are answer prayers, all right? I don't know if you're a country person. None of you are country music. Never mind, all right? Most of you probably don't know who Garth Brooks is. Listen to me. No one betrays you more than you do. No one has lied to you or deceived you more than you have about what you think is going to make you happy. So worldly wisdom, listen, it's all about self. It results when you live that way and, and you sit as king on the throne, not just of your own life, but now an expectation as the king of the throne on everyone's life and, and people and God now exist to serve you. You invite all kinds of destruction and chaos into your life and you begin to live only for the here and now, all right? But godly wisdom is essentially, um, it's, the, it's the flip of all of that, Okay. So godly wisdom, starting in verse 17, he says this, but the wisdom, uh, but the wisdom from God is, it says, but the wisdom from above, right? So wisdom from above isn't limited to a right now, this, it, it has an eternal perspective. It has an eternal trajectory in the things that it's seeing. You begin to live life in light of the fact that you understand there is a judgment coming where you will stand before the King of Kings, the Lord of all creation, give an account, uh, and there's ramifications for that. That eternal perspective begins to invade certain things about your life. It also, your life begins to be marked by humility that looks to others. Look at what he goes on in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere. You live this way if you are other-focused and you are not sitting on the throne, but God is. You have been freed from acting like a God that everyone must serve and exist in everything. You, you have taken yourself, God sits on that throne. You have freed yourself, and because of that, you are now, you're now free to love God and love others in a way that is radical. Right, it's, something, it's, 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 it's humble, and lastly, it produces righteousness and peace. We see that in verse 18. 
And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So listen, when you begin to live this way, now I'm not saying there are people um, who live very selfishly that will take advantage of those that live this way. Ask Jesus, okay? Jesus was probably one of the most radically other-centered people in, in, in the life that he lived, and we're, we're, we're to model life after him. Model life after him. And listen, all James is saying here is that when you come to faith in Christ, if you claim to be a believer, your heart begins to be transformed from me first, all about me, to an other-centered kind of perspective about life. Where you're, you're constantly, daily, taking yourself off the throne, letting God sit where he belongs on the throne so, th- so that you can be humble like Jesus, serve others like Jesus, love God like Jesus. This begins to happen in you. But so, so there's the first thing he does. Now he gets into verse 4, all right? And here's what happens in, in verse 4. Worldly wisdom gets exposed. So now he's going to give you a litmus test of what this looks like, okay? So in verse 4, this is what he starts saying. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? All right, so listen. Chaos begins to enter into your relationships um, with, your, with, your, with others, with yourself, and with God. He says this in verse, chapter 4, verse, verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? That's with other people. Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? That's with yourself. And then down in verse, verse 4, he says, uh, he says uh, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? When you live in the folly of worldly wisdom, chaos in your relationships with others, yourself, and with God come to light. This is what you're inviting into your life when you do this. It also robs prayer of its power. It robs prayer of its power, because look down in verse, I want you to see this, look down in verse, um, the end of verse 2. You desire and don't have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, all right? Part of this is the boasting, all right? I can do everything on my own. It's, I have enough power to make these things. I don't need God. I can do this myself. So there's this boasting, this pride, this selfish ambition that marks your life, and also the beginning of verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Your prayer life becomes powerless either because you quit praying or because when you pray, the motives of why you're asking are all wrong. Maybe perhaps even in your prayer life, you can't even see that the motives of why you're asking for the things that you're asking are all wrong. I mean, what would it be like if a woman walked into a room with her husband and said, honey, I really love you. Can I have a hundred bucks? Husband's like, hundred bucks? Well, yeah, babe, we got it in the account. You know, I worked real hard. I, I've got some extra money here. hundred dollars. Here, here's a hundred dollars. What do you need a hundred dollars for? Well, man, I'm going, there's this strip club down the street. This new guy's performing there. I want to go down there, pay this guy some money, see if I can hook up with him after the show. Like, 
Like, what would that do to a husband who is in love with his wife who comes in and makes that request? It's ludicrous. The whole point of the illustration is meant to jolt the emotions of the one that that hears it. The devastation that would come when you find out that the one you love and have committed yourself to is running around on you, crawling into bed and sleeping with other lovers. What would that do to you? What kind of emotions would that? And he says, listen, when you become a friend of the world, you put yourself in hostility with God and you act like an adulterous spouse. It's meant to jolt. It is meant to jolt the heart of the believer. And friendship, friendship here, when, when, when James talks about friendship, he talks about a relationship that is, that is shaping you in the way that you live, all right? A lot of times, we don't have notions of friendship like that now um, for, for a lot of different reasons. Like, we do stuff on Facebook now that 10 years ago would have been stalking, you know? Like, where did they eat today? Hmm? All right, and who's, who's all their family? Who are these friends? Like, why are they wearing that? Where are they right now? Like, like 10 years ago, that was called stalking. Today, it's just called friending, all right, on Facebook. And, and most of you probably have, like, 300 friends on Facebook, 400, 500. If you're really social and you're an extrovert and you've had Facebook, maybe, maybe you got seven, 800 friends and you probably talk to like five of them, all right? This is not the friendship that he's talking about. Friendship that James is talking about is friendship that, that forms you and shapes you. And he says, man, worldly wisdom is, is this friendship with the world that begins to form and shape. And when you do that, you find yourself an enemy of God, an enemy of God. So listen, how do we avoid this? Here's the last thing James is gonna say. Here's the last thing he's going to say. Remember some things and then do some things, all right? Remember some things and do some things. Here's the things that you're to remember. Look at verse 5 and 6. I don't have that up on the screen, so you'll have to write these down. He says this, verse 5, Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? Here's all James is saying. Remember this. God desires relationship with you. God wants deep, intimate relationship with you. He wants to know you. He loves you. And he is jealous over the spirit that he has caused to dwell in you. Well, isn't isn't jealousy sin? Um, There is jealousy that is sinful, yeah, jealousy that is rooted in insecurity or is rooted in, in selfishness. Um, but, but that's not the jealousy that James is talking about here. Unrighteous jealousy is rooted in fear or inadequacy or wants something that doesn't rightfully belong to it. Okay? This is like the abusive person in a relationship that doesn't want the other person in a relationship talking to anyone or wearing certain things. Or, and they make all these kind. This is That kind of jealousy is rooted in fear and, um, and inadequacy. And this is not how, God is not jealous that you're going you're gonna to go and, um, and have a conversation with the world and the world is going to offer you something better than him. God is not, God's not worried about that. God is also not wanting something, your worship, and your affections that do not rightfully belong to him. All right? John Piper said it like this, and he says this. 
Instead, God is jealous like a powerful and merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame, forgives her, marries her, and gives her not the chores of a slave, but the privileges of a wife, a queen. His jealousy does not rise from fear or weakness, but from a holy indignation at having his honor and power and mercy scorned by the faithlessness of a fickle spouse. So James says this, remember this. God, lo- God loves you. He desires relationship with you. And here's the second thing, and I love this part. All right, verse six. He gives more grace. Remember this. He gives more grace. Anyone feel like you've screwed up in this recently? Like adopted worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom or begin to make life all about yourself and not about others or to sit on the throne and demand that the world revolve around you instead of letting God sit on the throne and you, and you like me and, and what is God's response when, man, when I bring that to him, it says he gives more grace. So, so here's the two things he wants you to remember. God loves you, wants a relationship with you. And listen, God helps wants to help. The Spirit dwells inside of you. If you're a Jesus follower, he's transforming your heart. You are not on your own to make this thing a reality and begin to live life more and more in godly wisdom and and spurn worldly kind of folly. God wants to God wants to help. So then how, all right, so, so, so remember these things. God loves me, wants a relationship. God's empowered me with the spirit. God gives more grace. God does the, so does that mean that I sit there and do nothing then? No, all right. The next thing is nine quick things, and um, I only got six of them up there. So I'm just gonna read them off and then close this thing up and we'll be done, okay? So what do we do? Look down at verse six. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourself Therefore, to God, this just means willingly place yourself under his lordship. Listen, um, and I don't know everyone in this room, but for some of you, this is step number one. Like, if you're honest, you've never submitted yourself to the lordship of Christ. You've either been scared of it or worried about it worried what other people would think, or worried what it might cost you, or worried this, and, and slowly, maybe you've been coming here all semester, maybe you've just come here a couple times, but you're beginning to see, maybe for the very first time, faith is beginning to be awakened inside of you, and you're beginning to see Jesus is better, like I need to let go of some things, and I need to cling to Christ, and for you, this is step number one, this is willingly joyfully see Jesus as life, know that he's that, and place yourself under his lordship, no matter what it costs, no matter what it's going to take you, that you begin to see Jesus is better. He's better. And for some of us, man, this is, this is the first step in that, in that journey. Then he's going to say this, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. For some of us, man, we just got to start standing in some things that we know we need to be standing in. The devil's going to come and tempt, and and you have to stand firm. You need to resist him, oppose, stand against. These are the kinds of things that that this word um, is meant to bring about, opposition, standing against. But resist him, and he will flee from you. Um. 
I don't know what this looks like. Maybe, maybe the resisting is coming in a relationship. Maybe the resisting is coming with a computer screen or something on your phone. Maybe the resisting is coming with an attitude or, or a, a sexual desire inside of your life or a, um, some, some kind of eating disorder. I, I don't know what it is. These things manifest themselves in all kinds of ways inside of our lives. But, but Jesus says, man, I, I give more grace here. I want relationship here. Submit, resist. Resist the spirit of God that I mean. Resist. Find some help. Here's, here's the other thing. Draw near to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near. Listen, we hammer this all the time here. Draw near to God. How do I do that? What are things that God, here's two things, and we talk about these things all the time. Get to know God's word. God's word is where God has revealed himself to us. If you are going to draw near to him, this is this term of like intimacy. Knowing him, drawing near to him, means this, get in your word, get to know him. And I'm not talking about to check off a list of just something to do, but inside of these pages, the, listen to me, the God of the universe is going to reveal himself to you. Get in the word and get in community. Stop Stop running from community. Man, sometimes it seems like we have no problem getting into community with things that are like pull us away. But when it comes to getting into community, it's going to draw us into Christ. It's like we, we freak out and flip out about that. What if they ask me about that sin? Good. Like you need someone in your life doing that with you. Well, what if they're going to call out things in my life that I don't want? To... Good. You need someone in your life calling things out in you. These are good. These are not things to be run from. These are pathways that God has woven into the fabric of life to bring you into intimacy with him. I want us to be a kind of community here where you guys feel like you don't have to come into this place and hide crap. Like, you're not hiding anything from God anyway. He already knows. And my prayer is that we're, as we're trying to draw near to God in, through his word and through community, that this place is becoming a place where if you come in, you're like, well, man, what if people find out that I'm broken? I'm like, hey, good. Welcome to the club. Everyone in here has got their junk that they're dealing with. It may look different than yours. It, it, it may be different um, than something you're wrestling with. But, but there's this verse in James, we're going to get to it later, but he says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And what I found in my life is I want the end of that verse that you may be healed. It's like, oh yeah, Lord, give me that. And God's like, well, what about the first part of that verse? Confess your sins one to another. Eh, I don't know about that. Can I get the healing without the confession piece? And the Lord's like, No. No, they, they, they go together. So listen, so, so draw near to God. Begin to walk in purity. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Your, your hands, the, the actions, the things you're doing, and, and, and your hearts, the inward desires and motivations, let God begin to, to purify and cleanse those things. Um, here's a big one. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Here, here's all he's saying. Ask God for a heart of brokenness over your sin. The Puritans, uh, it was a group of, of guys back in, back in the day, long time ago. 
But the Puritans, if you go and read a lot of their prayers, the Puritans a lot of times would pray that God would give them tears. Very seldom in my life, in the life of the church, do I, do I hear us praying, God, please demolish us over our sin. Because see, what the world wants to do and what worldly wisdom or worldly folly wants to do is, is look at you and say, hey, man, your sin's no big deal. It's not that big a deal. Like Tim was talking about that this morning in church. I don't know if you caught it, but like, hey, sin, sin's no big deal. And, and James is saying here, man, get before God and beg him to break you and give you a heart of mourning and weeping. It is foolishness to laugh and giggle while the house is burning down around you. Don't do that. Pray for this, a brokenness over, over your sin. And, and, and the last thing is this. Have a tongue that builds others up. Verses 11 and 12 there. One of the things that I think is good is when we become experts, not in the weakness of others, but in the strengths of others. And when he's saying don't judge here, he, he's not saying don't evaluate things. All right? He's not saying don't look at things, the fruit of people's lives, the fruit of teachers, um, sin and righteous. Don't evaluate and say, okay, this is sin and walking in foolishness, and this is righteousness. These are things that walk in life. He's he's just saying we have to evaluate worldly folly and godly wisdom. All right, so he's not saying evaluate, but he's talking about condemning people. You're not the judge of anyone, all right, in the sense of pronouncing condemnation on them and kicking them outside of the kingdom and saying, no, this person's outside. The whole Kanye West thing has just really got me angry about some things because the church, like, prays for revival and people to get saved. And I don't know if Kanye West is a Christian, all right? I, I, I don't know that. But I know he's made a profession of faith. I'm seeing things, and, and I'm like, and, and gladly, most of the people that I see are celebrating this. And I'm like, good, good, because I'm, I'm seeing him say things. That, now, is, it, do I know for sure? No, I don't know the guy. I don't know. Let, let's find out in 10 years if he's still walking with Jesus. And I'm like, that, that, that's going to bolster a lot of confidence here. But, it, but it's like right now, what, what I do when I heard that, you know, I did that, that whole weekend after Kanye dropped his Jesus is King album. I was at home, like, you know, cleaning, like listening to Jesus is King, you know. And as I'm doing that, man, I'm just praying for this guy. Like Lord, man, if he if he's truly come to faith in Christ, help him grow. Thank you that you love Kanye West and you want a relationship with him. Thank you that where he's going to fall and fail, like all of us do. Thank you, God, that you give more grace. You give more grace. So, man, remember these things and then step into these things that God's given. Step into these things that God's given and walk. When, when we do this, when we live life like this, guys, we're walking in godly wisdom. We're walking in godly wisdom. And unlike worldly folly where we're inviting all kinds of chaos and destruction into our life, the Bible says we walk in this, man. We are inviting life and peace and righteousness and a, and a changed life. Don't be afraid to live this way. Don't be afraid to live this way. Let's pray.